been able to do something similar and recognize we worked hard at something. And it's okay to feel like a godly pride for that, you know, and to, to recognize that um, we were able to be diligent and committed, but every step of the way it's with, with God's help, right? But it is a testimony to the fact that God is preparing them. And, you know, why is it that we go to school? Any level of education is for preparation. We're learning. And as we're learning, we're growing. But then we want to take that knowledge and that growth and then go serve. See how I just worked that right in there? To learn to grow and to serve, right? But it's part of life. It's so easy to do that. It's a part of life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple. And that's really what we're going to be talking about as we study, as we get deep into the study of who Jesus is and who He expects us to be in our study of the Gospel of Mark. And so our series is called, very simply, The Way of Jesus. And you're going to see that unfold and play out week after week as we look at the Gospel of Jesus, which Gospel simply means good news. It is the story of Jesus. And Mark tells it in a very unique and uh, exciting way. And so we're going to look at sort of just preliminary things this morning. As we get underway in our study of Mark, we're going to look at a little background and see some themes that he covers and why it is that it's so important to us, because there always has to be that application part, right? That's kind of what we're all waiting for. We want to to see what God's Word says, but then how does it apply, right? Because that's where the growth comes in. We We can gain knowledge and background about Mark and who he was when he was writing and all that, and it's very important for our context. But we don't want to leave it just there. We want to see, God, what does this mean for me? What can I take away from this? And what can we look forward to in our study of this gospel? You know, uh, as many of you uh, know, we um, our family just moved recently. We moved into Point Pleasant Beach. And, you know, one of the joys of moving, which we've done many times over the years, as many of you have, one of those joys is when you have to change your address with uh, just about everybody, right? And these days, of course, it's a lot easier because you can go online and you can just, you know, you go to your bank accounts and your creditors and, you you know, you go to to utilities and all that and you change your address. And it's pretty simple, Um, except when you're dealing with the the DMV, right? And so um, the Motor Vehicle Commission, sorry, I should say that's their new name. And so I went onto the website to change our address because, you know, again, we've moved many times and the process is, if you don't know, is that you are able to, to change your address online, and they send you these stickers, and you put the stickers on the back of your license. And so I went online to do that, and um, the website was not very good, and I, I, it said, okay, change your address here, and then it said, what city, and it didn't even have enough space for Point Pleasant Beach. And it only let me put in Point Pleasant, I said, well, that's a different town. And so I was getting a little frustrated, and then I noticed the little asterisk, there was a note on the bottom, you always have to read the fine print, right? And it says, we are no longer sending out stickers. You have to come into the DMV to change your license. And it says, there will be a fee charged. So you used to be able to do it online and get a free sticker. Now you have to go wait online at the DMV and pay the fee to get the new license. And let's say you move a year later, you have to go back and do the same thing all over again if you want your license to be updated, right? Because I think it's an important thing. Because we all have... That license, when we start driving, or some kind of ID, it's got our picture, and it shows 
who we are. So even to just change the address, we need to bring that uh, very famous six points of identification, right? You have to go in and you have to show who you are. And I think, oh, that's okay. There is an importance to that. Why? Because identity theft is so prevalent. Maybe some of you here have been a victim of that. But, you know, it is important for us to know who we are and then, in a sense, prove to other people like the state of New Jersey who we are. Here's our birth certificate, our passport, and all that. Because why? Because we need to have a valid form of identification. Because we need to identify ourselves. Now, our license doesn't say all about who we are. It might say how tall you are, what color your hair, your eyes are, and it's got a, a great picture of you, right? Your favorite picture right there on your license. And um, you could probably change that for another fee, but that's, a, you know. And so, but our license identifies us, right? And it's an important part of who we are. We could probably all pull out our, pull out our license and say, here's who we are, right? But, you know, I was thinking, you know, as we're preparing for this trip to Brazil next summer, and we had our, our first meeting, and our next meeting will be coming up soon this month in June, You know, Brazil is one of those countries where, of course, you need a passport, but you also need what's called a visa. Now, not every country requires this, but you're required to have your passport, which shows you're a citizen of the U.S. It shows that you're able to travel. But then every country has the ability to request and require a visa. It's like a different form of identification. And countries will do that specifically for this reason. They want to know why you're there not only who you are and you're a citizen of a country but they want to know why you're there so maybe you get a student visa or a work visa or a travel visa so they can keep tabs on you knowing your identification and so they know why you are there okay it's an important part of the travel process and so brazil is one of those countries that requires that But it's all about identifying ourselves. But that visa is really unique because what it does is it says, okay, we know who you are, but why are you here? What are you doing? And as we open the pages of the Gospel of Mark, it's really what we see. There's some amazing themes that we see throughout Mark, and he kind of says it in a very condensed way because Mark is actually the shortest of all four Gospels, most likely the first one written, so Luke and Matthew, The other two of what's called the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three that have most in common. Most scholars will say that Matthew and Luke took most of their material from Mark because it was the first one written. But it's also the shortest and more more condensed. And you'll see in a moment how Mark's writing style is important to our study of it. But really what Mark gets into first and foremost in just the first 13 verses that I'm going to read in a moment, it's all about... Jesus' identity. Who is this Jesus? And he says it right off the bat. But here's what's important. Not only do we need to understand who Jesus is, and we're going to go deep into that, because we might all sit here and say, well, of course, we know who Jesus is, but do we really? Do we really? Do we know who He is? But then even aside from that, we say, who is Jesus, first and foremost, but then who are we? Because so much of Mark, and this is so great for us as a church, Mark is focused on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. A follower. One who wants to take after the Master. Right On Sunday mornings, we have a discipleship class. It's all about 
how to be like Jesus in a sense. How to be a follower. Jesus said a lot and he did a lot. We're to read that and learn it and know it and then internalize it. Take ownership of it and recognize this has great meaning and value to us. Because if we are taking upon ourselves the identity of Christ, taking His name when we say, yes, we are a Christian, then we need to be able to back that up. Don't we? We take on that name, that identity. What does that mean for us? What does it look like to be a Christian? And I I can say, yes, in one sense, this is basic and elemental. But you're going to see as the Gospel continues, it gets so deep. I think we're going to go deeper than you ever have in studying and reading one of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. And I hope that's the case. And that should be your prayer, that God would open your heart and open your mind and open your spiritual eyes to be able to see, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And who is He? What does that mean for us in our context, in our world today? So in a moment I'm going to read that. And I do hope that as we begin this study of Mark, that you are challenged. Challenged to go deeper in your understanding of who Jesus is and just who we are called to be as His followers. So let's read it. This is Mark chapter 1. We're just going to um, look at the first 13 verses today. So this is the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. And as you remember, a number of weeks ago, we finished reading through Malachi, the end of the Old Testament. And there was a prophecy in Malachi about one that would come to prepare the way for the Messiah. Remember that? And we saw that very clearly, that one that was prophesied about in Malachi, 400 years later, came John the Baptist. That's what we're going to read about now. Because John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus. It's all about the preparation. We talked about it last week as well. We are preparing. But what we're going to see is, you know what? Jesus needed to be prepared as well. Maybe we don't think about that. He's God, of course, right? Jesus needed a time of preparation for His earthly ministry. There's a lot we can learn about that. So let's see this as we open the story. This is the scene. This is sort of Act 2 of the Bible. And this is the opening scene of the New Testament with the Gospel of Mark. And here's how he starts his recounting and his story of the life of Jesus. It says, in the beginning, or this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right away he has a title, which we'll look at. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make His path straight. So John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to Him and were being baptized by Him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy 
to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of, Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. It's a very bold and exciting opening. Here's some things I'd like to give you just as a background so we're sort of all on the same page to see what's happening and who this guy Mark is and, and sort of how he was writing. Some of it you may have already noticed just in that those first 13 verses. So it is the shortest of the Gospels, and you'll see in a way, you see how Mark kind of condensed things? He left out a lot of details which are found in Mark and Luke, but he does it for a reason. Mark has a very unique style. If you can picture, I picture Mark being a little frenetic in his action and in his writing. He wants to get right to the heart of the matter. You see, Mark seems to be a man of action. Mark actually includes a lot more about what Jesus did than what he said. It's very heavy on the miracles, but light on the parables. So he's got the parables in there, but he focuses much more on the actions of Jesus. And in a way, there's a large percentage, almost 40% of the whole Gospel of Mark is focused on the last week of Jesus' life, that Passion Week. It's about what Jesus did. And the reason that we call our series The Way of Jesus, because what you're going to see is, Mark uses this term a lot, on the way. For Mark, it's all about on the way. Let's get right to the point. Jesus was born to go to the cross. And so all throughout the Gospel, you're going to see Mark using that kind of language. He uses the word immediately a lot. He says it at the end of this passage. And immediately he was driven into the wilderness. Driven into the wilderness. Right? Immediately. Mark is sort of a man of action. He's writing not so much focused on the details. Of course, they're in there. But really giving us sort of the bird's eye view, the highlight, the focus of what we should be looking at. Because Mark is all about getting us to the last week of Jesus' life. But what he says is he says along the way or on the way. Why? Because in, in Mark's mind, it's Jesus going through the towns. He's teaching. He's performing miracles. But it's all on his way to Jerusalem. He's on the way. What does that mean for us? That's a good takeaway for us right there. Because you know what? We're always on the way, aren't we? We just celebrated our graduates and there was a milestone. They were on their way to this. Now God has prepared them to move on to a new season, doing something new because they are now prepared to do something new and different, maybe to do something they've been doing, but in a very unique and specialized way. God is always doing that with us as well as followers. We are being prepared. We see it right in the opening verses as Mark quotes from Isaiah but also from Malachi, right? And also, I believe, from Ezekiel, he says, Behold my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. 
It's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. See that? Not only about preparation, but it's about preparing the way. Preparing the way. We need to be prepared. See, we have, when we're going to travel, we have our passport. If you're going to Brazil, you need a visa. But why? It's in preparation to do what? To travel. Because you have a destination. Right? When you're planning a trip, you have a destination. You're going somewhere. So you make the necessary preparations. We know what that's like. We need to have our identification first, see? Before we even take that first step. I think it's important that we know who we are and who we're following. Is that right? We need to know who we are, but also who we are following. You know, there's that old saying that a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step, with one step, before we even take that step. Let us be sure and spend time understanding who we are and who it is that we're following. And so Mark does that for us in a very dynamic way. Mark is a dynamic writer, one who is full of action, giving us so much of the miracles, even more than the parables, focusing on what Jesus did more than on what he said. Remember Mark? Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. You remember this from our study in Acts? That Mark was uh, also known as John Mark. He's a cousin of Barnabas. And uh, he went on the very first missionary journey for the very first church. You remember that? The church in Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas, and they brought Mark with them to go to spread the good news. So Mark was right there with them. So he has all authority to write this gospel, see? But then you remember there was a falling out because Mark kind of left the party. We're not sure why. And Paul was a little upset by that. So when they were going on their second journey, Barnabas said, let's bring our cousin Mark along again. And Paul said, nah, he kind of deserted us last time. So there was a falling out. So remember Paul and Barnabas went separate ways. Barnabas took his cousin Mark and they went to the island of Cyprus. They went to Cyprus. So they continued. But you know what's great about that? Just as a recap. Later on, many years later, Paul and Mark, they kind of made up, and Mark did spend time with Paul. They got together, they ministered and worked together for the good of the gospel. They reconciled even to the point when Paul was, was in his second imprisonment in Rome, he actually asked Timothy, said, Timothy, can you bring Mark here? I want Mark here. See? So there was a bond. Even though there was a separation, there was a bond there. So Mark had a special relationship with the Apostle Paul. But you know what? Mark was also a disciple of Peter, the Apostle. And it's, it's understood, commonly understood, that most of what we're going to read in the Gospel of Mark, it comes from Mark's understanding of Peter's teaching. All that Peter taught in Acts and elsewhere, Mark was sort of a disciple of Peter. Probably Peter even led him to the Lord. See, there's a great connection there. But what we see is Mark's focus really is the way of Jesus. The way that Jesus said things, the way he did things, but also, bigger picture, the path he was on. Because you know what? And this is what's really sobering for us. Maybe the greatest takeaway, the path that Jesus was on to the cross, it's our path too. That Jesus went to the cross for us, but did he not say as his followers, we need to be willing to do what? to take up our cross and follow Him, deny ourselves, die to self, take up our cross and follow Him. 
When Jesus looked out over the crowds, he saw many, maybe even thousands, hundreds and thousands of followers, many whom he called disciples, large groups of people. He would often look out over the crowds and could even get a sense that there was a sadness because he knew very few of those masses of people who followed him that loved the miracles and the free food, right? That they weren't willing to go all the way with him. They'd go part of the way until the fun kind of ran out and it got a little too serious. Jesus said he was looking for followers that would follow him all the way to the cross to be able to deny ourselves and follow him. That's a big part of what it takes to be a disciple, a learner with a master, that we are willing to follow our master wherever he goes. So Mark focuses on the way of Jesus, what he taught, what he did, and where he was headed. And all along the way it was to Jerusalem and then to the cross. You're going to see that Mark leaves out some detail. Right? And we saw even in this passage, he didn't talk about in detail his temptation in the wilderness. We didn't see that back and forth with Satan and Jesus. He just said that the this, this Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was there 40 days being tempted. He was with the wild animals and the angels ministered to him. He got right to the point. See that? Now, of course, we want to look at the other Gospels as you read this on your own, and we'll do it together as well to fill in some of the details where it's necessary. But notice that. This is sort of a quick-moving Gospel. But it's good because we're going to get this idea that Jesus was on His way and Mark was following Him there. He wants us to see that. He wants us to see. Here's something else important to notice as we move along. That Mark really believes it's so important that we understand who Jesus is. He uses the term Son of God or Son of Man many times, more than the other Gospel writers. You know what that really means? Son of Man really gives us this idea of the suffering servant. You also you um, often hear Mark described as, that's the Gospel that talks about the suffering servant. And it does. Because we see Jesus talk about Himself as the Son of Man or the Son of God. See, it's an identifier. So if we want to know who our master is, the one we say we're following, when we say we're a Christian, we need to know. Mark says he is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And throughout the Gospel, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, which really equates to him saying, I have come not to be served, but to serve, to suffer and to die for you. That's a big theme here. But as we identify with Him, let us know who it is we're identifying with. We were at the Home Depot yesterday and getting some mulch and stuff for the garden, you know. And um, at the checkout line, there was this guy, and this is the one over in Brick, you know. And, and there was a guy at the checkout in the garden center. And we've seen him many times. And, and um, he saw my tattoo of the cross. And he looked at me, and you know what he started doing? He started quoting Scripture. Now, it's a little weird because you don't expect that, right? And he was quoting it, and it was, it was a little strange the way he was doing it, but I think he was right on. So all of a sudden he started talking about how Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. And he was talking about how, how he couldn't believe how that would happen. And he started talking about, seriously, the identity of Jesus. He is the Son of God. 
he is God himself. He started quoting scriptures about that. And then I started, you know, right? And so, and then I started going a little bit back and forth and quoting some scriptures and telling him this, like confirming what he was saying. Then he shook my hand. And he said, be careful out there, brother. That's what he said. I said, okay. I don't know if he was talking about like lifting the bags of mulch, like be careful what he was saying, but he was, I think he was right on, he was being honest. But you see, we always have to be ready to, to, to give an account, right? It's not, you know, I was thinking about that. I was like, my, I didn't feel like I was on. Like what, I'm supposed to have a pastor's hat on? And then when I go to Home Depot, I'm not a Christian? No, you have to be always ready. There's no, there's no mode. I wasn't in Christian mode. There's no mode. It's our lifestyle, right? We're, we should always be ready. He was ready, wasn't he? All he saw was the cross. But you know what that meant to him? I'm identifying with Christ. See, I made that identifier. So I had to be ready to be able to give an account for that, you know? Even if I didn't say anything, to just encourage him, yes, brother. Yes, what you're saying is true, amen. You know, whatever it is. You never know when that's going to happen. But what Mark does is right from the beginning, it says, Here who, here, here's who Jesus is. He's the promised Messiah, the one that, John the Baptist came to to prepare the way for. The one that we are preparing the way for. And then we see what happens as we're going to wrap this up in a minute. We see in the first 13 verses, it happens very quickly. We don't see any nativity story, do we? Did you notice that was missing? There's no genealogy. See, that was missing. The nativity story, the birth of Christ, the genealogy of Christ, those are found in Matthew and Luke. Mark just gets right to the point. He says, Here's John the Baptist, and then he says, so it's John appeared, nothing even about the birth of John. John appeared, right? And then it says, in those days, Jesus. That's it. That's okay, we're getting right to it. We can look at the other Gospels and fill all that in and stuff that we know. See, that's the writing style of Mark. I think that's why it's going to be exciting, and it's going to be fast-paced and fast-moving because Mark is a man of action. And he's getting right to it. Why? Because he wants to tell us this who is this who. This is who the Messiah is, the one that was promised. Here he is. So we see Jesus having two forms of preparation. He's being prepared. In what ways? He gets baptized by John the Baptist. And then he's tempted in the desert. And first, you know what? The first thing we should notice is, why should Jesus, the Son of God, who is God himself, that's really what Son of God means, that he is in the likeness of God, he is God, and of course, the Jews understood that. That's why they accused him of blasphemy. And that's what, his, um, that's what he was indicted for. Remember that? It was because he claimed to be God. We'll see those in just a moment, some verses that show us that. But here he is, Jesus, the Son of God, and he gets baptized by John the Baptist, the one who said, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. But Jesus comes in and is baptized by John. And then Jesus is tempted in the desert. Like, if he's God... Why does he need preparation? I think it all goes back to this, church. It all goes back because Mark is showing us that he is the Son of Man. He is the suffering servant, the one who came, God in the flesh, God incarnate, to live among us so that we can have that great high priest and have hope and confidence in him. Because Jesus came, he was tempted so that we have a Savior who knows what it's like when we're tempted. Also in preparation. Because what did he do in the desert? He brought it all back to God and his word, didn't he? When he threw it back at Satan. But Jesus was also baptized. 
Did he need to be baptized? Well, no, technically not. But he did. Why? It was an act of obedience. But it was also this. It was a way to prove his identity. It was a way to show among all the people that he was that Messiah. Because all the other Jews that were coming to be baptized by John the Baptist, he said that he preached what? A baptism of repentance. It was for the nation Israel. For all the Jews to come. It wasn't for the Gentiles just yet. It was for all of the Jews to come to say, God, I'm sorry for being disobedient to you and to your law. And then as a nation recognizing that they had missed the boat. They all knew the Old Testament Scriptures. They knew that vicious cycle of when they would fall away from God and need to repent. You see, so John was saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Come and be baptized as God's people. Be baptized in the waters of the Jordan as a baptism of repentance. Saying what? Now that you identify yourselves with the coming Messiah and that you're willing to follow Him. And that's where I'm going to end it for today. Because that's our application. Our application is this. Jesus was baptized. Have you been baptized? Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Very simply that you believed in Him for salvation. And now you're saying that you want to be a disciple. And you want to be a learner. And you want to grow and you want to serve Him together. Have you done what Jesus commanded that we do as a church? Two things He gave us. Baptism. The Lord's Supper. We call them ordinances. The two ordinances that Jesus left with us, He commanded. We have it right on the table. Do this in remembrance of Me. That's what we're going to do in just a minute. Remembering together as a church the Lord's sacrifice, what He told us to do in the upper room, right? In the Last Supper, the end of His earthly life and ministry. But the other thing He said is to baptize. Remember at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, the Great Commission? And He says to go to the disciples. Go and what? Baptize them. Teaching them all. Making disciples. But he says to baptize. Why? What is so significant about Christian baptism? If you haven't baptized yet, please listen to this. It is very simply an outward expression of what has already happened on the inside in your heart. But it's a public demonstration that you are taking upon yourself the identity of Jesus Christ. And what we do here at Trinity, when you get baptized, we give everybody a cross tattoo. No, I'm just joking. To identify you, right? There they go, out the door. But what is it? It is a way to identify in public. You invite your friends and your family and you come out. And what happens in baptism? Right? You get put under the water. We believe in immersion. That's really what baptism means. It means to be immersed. And then you come out as a reflection of, that you are dead to your sins in Christ because He died for you and you come out a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Your sins have been washed clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the water baptism represents. Jesus went through that. He went through that, but you know what? He was the only one there that didn't need to because He was the only one that was sinless. He didn't have to repent for anything, but He did it to identify Himself as, yes, I am that Messiah, and to be obedient. You see that beautiful picture? A picture of the Trinity. Because when He comes up out of the water, immediately what? The sky opens up. The dove descends. It's the Holy Spirit and the voice of God the Father comes down and says, this is My Son in whom I am well pleased. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
That's who we identify with. And that's where we'll leave it for today. Let us remember as we take this journey together in the Gospel of Mark, who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. That means He is in the likeness of God. He is God. That's why He was condemned by the religious leaders. Because He claimed to be God. Look at these last verses that we'll end with from Matthew. It says this in Matthew. Matthew 26, 63. Jesus remained silent. We all remember this. The high priest said to Him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Stop right there. Do you see that? That's what they're accusing Him of. They knew it. They knew it. They saw He was the one who was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, preparing the way. He is the Messiah. And they say, tell us. You're under oath now. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? When they claim that, you're saying you're the Son of God? That means that He is claiming to be God. They knew it. It was even part of the Jewish culture. If you were the son of somebody, that meant that you probably looked like them, you took their name, you were related, you were them. A lot of people say, my son Luke looks a lot like me, right? We could probably all identify with with that. We look like siblings or parents. When we look like our parents, people say, oh, you take just after your father. You take just after your mother, right? You're identified. You're the son of this person. See, that's what they knew. Are you the son of God? Is that what you're claiming? Are you claiming to be God himself? What does Jesus say in John 19.7? He says this. See, the Jewish uh, leaders insisted, hey, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Because what he did say, he said, yes, it is as you say. That was his response, yes. When they said, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? He said, yes, it is as you say. Right here it says it. The religious leaders, they said, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God, which means he claims to be God. That is who we follow. So finally, look at this. If we know who we're following, we ask ourselves this question. Do we know who we are? 1 Peter 2.9. We are a chosen people in Christ, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Praise God for that. What a beautiful piece of Scripture to remind us of who we are. See, Jesus was being prepared in His baptism, in His temptation, prepared for His earthly ministry. And once, notice this, once He made that public declaration of baptism, he immediately went into the desert to be tempted. Life immediately got difficult. So don't let anybody ever tell you, oh, you accept Jesus, you get everything that you want. No. Jesus, unfortunately, for us, fortunately I should say, said just the opposite. If people are going to persecute me, he said, if you're going to follow me, identify yourself with me, you're going to be persecuted too. So the moment you make that public declaration, however you did it, Jesus said to be baptized. As a believer, you should be baptized. If you want to be a member of this church and most every other church I know, you need to have been a baptized believer. That's part of the being part of the church body, you see. But its idea is that we are identifying with Christ. So, 
We are beginning our journey through the Gospel of Mark. We ask ourselves these questions. Who is Jesus? He is none other than the Messiah. He is God himself. But who are we? And what is he preparing us to do? For we truly can't begin our journey without understanding our identification. We need the proper ID to get to where we're going. And that ID says we belong to Jesus. You know what, men? You are sons of the king. Ladies, you are daughters of the king. A treasured possession of the God of the universe. Let us always remember that. That we are treasured and loved by him. He is that promised Messiah. He is God. He's the one we identify with. He's the one that we're going to follow. If he's on the way, then we're on the way with him. And so we end our time together around the Lord's table. This is